All right. A question we've been asking over the last few weeks is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Um, The series is called The Undivided Self, and today we're focusing on neighbors. So what would Jesus do if he were you as a friend, as a neighbor, as a worker, as a citizen? Um, Being a follower of Jesus should give us the opportunity to live an undivided life. You don't have to put on a costume everywhere you go. You can be you, the you that God has created you to be in all the spaces of your life. Um, Some wisdom that we keep returning to that the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament can give us a frame, a helpful frame of what what does it look like to live as an undivided person. Um, He says these words in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. That's what living an undivided life Uh, will look like is carrying yourself like that into every space of your life. So for a few minutes, I want to focus on the topic of living as an undivided life as a neighbor. And I'm going to tell you at the end of this short message, uh, a story that involves these little mittens right here. You know, the little ones you can get like uh, 50 of them for a dollar. They're little kid mittens. And I will share a story that Uh, involves those. So first, let's uh, talk about some neighborly people in the Bible. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. You can say that if you'd like. Say Priscilla and Aquila. Very good. You've heard of Simon and Garfunkel. You've heard of Sonny and Cher, but have you heard of Priscilla and Aquila? Uh, Acts chapter 18. um, Let's read this. We, We find out about them here. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila. Hey, that's our friend. A native of Pontus, which is in Asia, who had recently come from Italy, which is not in Asia, but over in Europe, with his wife Priscilla. That's our other friend. Because Claudius, who is the emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so they're bouncing around a bit. So Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, that was like a trade that he did, as they were, oh, they were tent makers too, um, he stayed and worked with them. So uh, this gentleman named Paul, who had become a follower of Jesus, now bumps into these two people named Priscilla and Aquila, and they are tent makers. They share the same trade. It's like if you're a construction worker or you're a marketing person or whatever, you bump into somebody and you form this friendship. Um, I I think it's kind of cool to imagine Bible characters, because they were real people, um, having conversations about, like, their trade, like, their business trade. Like, um, this one, for example, like, where do you get your supplies from? Like, Paul is having this conversation with Priscilla and Aquila. Um, How much is a fair asking price to sell your tent for? Um, Where is the best part in town to set up shop? They have this, like, trade. They have this life that also includes them being uh, people that need an income, and I think that's pretty cool. The Bible is full of real people that we can relate to. So Paul becomes friends with these neighborly people uh, named Priscilla and Aquila, and he stayed and worked with them, we find out in a different part of Scripture, for a year and a half in the city of Corinth. Um, So this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, were living a missional life, um, and tent-making was their vocation, but uh, spreading the good news of Jesus was their passion. That was the real reason for living. Uh, that was their deepest passion. Um, Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 20, starting at verse 24, says this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
He was a learned man and through with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila, hey, that's our neighbors, heard him, they invited him to their home and explained the way of God more adequately. So maybe after this gathering, they're like, hey, you should come over to our house for dinner. We, we really would love to talk to you about that thing. You said some really cool stuff, but there's one thing in there that, you know, might be um, important for you to kind of understand about Jesus that, that is just a little bit different than what you said. So they, they were, weren't just tent makers. They were really engaged in the mission of God um, and invited a, an individual into their home, this new preacher that they had heard. So they opened up their home for the mission of God to have this one-time meeting with this person. But... Uh, they also treated their home as if it was a church, which is interesting. First uh, Corinthians sixteen nineteen says, The churches in the province of Asia send you greeting. So this is Paul writing a letter to a different group of people. But then he's writing on their behalf right here. He says, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the name of the Lord. And so does the church that meets in their house. Oh, that's kind of cool. These people lived in a bunch of different places. They had a tent-making business. They care about the mission of God. They invite this person into their home. And it turns out a church met in their home. They probably didn't have a huge budget or a large building or many programs. They probably didn't even preach sermons like this, like we do now. But it was maybe 10, 15, 30, or 50 people who gathered in this couple's homes. That was church. Trying to follow Jesus with everything that they had. And Priscilla and Aquila, in their neighborhood, were kind of like the priests. They were like pastors of the neighborhood. When things got difficult and even dangerous, as they were these house priests, Priscilla and Aquila didn't quit. In fact, Paul writes about them in another letter called Romans. We're doing the little Bible roulette thing here, but I want you to see their profile. In Romans 16, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. He mentions them again. My co-workers in Christ. Okay, so that's interesting. They were tent workers, but now they're co-workers in Christ. That's cool. He says, They risked their lives for me. Not only... I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So they were leveraging their building, their, excuse me, their, um, their business, probably to fund the ministry of Paul and the ministry to start new churches all over the place. This couple went from being a tent-making business partners with Paul even if it's for a short period of time, to now being described as co-workers in Jesus Christ who risked their lives by holding a church in their home for their neighbors. Their conversation might have gone from, where is a good place to sell tents these days? To, where in the world needs a church? What city, what neighborhood, what house can we start one in to bring the good news of Jesus there at any cost? 
What if we treated our homes, our apartments, our neighborhoods with such generosity and mission as these two? What if we embraced becoming kind of like a priest of your neighborhood? Let me give you two examples from this past week of where I saw this happen. On Monday, I was driving through one of the side streets um, over in my hood um, when I saw one guy trying to push. He had the, like, his truck perpendicular to this guy, other guy's driveway. There's this car, and then there's this dude leaning on his truck trying to give it, like, he's about to throw his back out. I just know. I'm in my 30s now. So he's trying to, like, kick the, the car forward. I'm like, you know, I should go see if I can help him out. Um, so there's the story. It's about me. Just kidding. Uh, so I, I get out of the car. I'm like, you know, let's try and do it together. Um, this dude's flooring it on the gas. Quick lesson. You got to oscillate. If you're stuck, don't floor it. You're going to get down to the dirt and your tires, boom, gone. Oscillate. Good? Thank you. Um, so we, we get it out. Uh, the car's up there. Other dude comes out. I'm like, hey, have a nice day, guys. And as I'm walking away, this, is, this might seem small, but as I'm walking away, I say that I, I hear the helper, so the neighbor, say, yeah, I'll swing back later today. That's all I heard. But I kind of think that said it all. That this neighbor was going to carve out the rest of his day to include not only getting this guy in his driveway, but coming back later. And probably coming back later to plow his driveway. Maybe being a pastor in your neighborhood is being willing to carve your day around your neighbor's needs. Around the interruptions that you might find. Other story. And here's where these little mittens come into play. I went to, took my, to take my kids uh, sledding at Lamar Park yesterday. Right down the road. We live close to the park, um, and so we took a walk, uh, me and Bridget, my three-year-old daughter, and Lincoln, my six-year-old son, to go sledding. Um, and so it's a couple hundred yards from our house. We start to get up there. There's another family that's already getting out of their car. Um, we passed them. They had driven there. Um, the mom smiled at us um, while she tried to get her daughter's mittens on. <laughs> Uh, which is always just so fun. It's easier with these ones rather than the ones that have all the fingers because their fingers are so small. You don't know if you're going to crack one of those things when you're trying to get it into the right, <laughs> the right hole. Um, so, yeah, we have this little, little thing with the mom, like been there five minutes ago. Uh, then we passed the dad, and I got to always give that joke, right? Like, man, one hour of putting the snow stuff on for 15 minutes of fun, am I right? Hopefully. We're like, yeah, haha. We, we chuckled together. It was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> But we got to our part of the hill, like just a little bit beyond them, and we noticed there was a jump. And so we have a toboggan, and then we have a red circle metal uh, sled. Notice how I said metal really loudly like that? Um, so, yeah, let's do it. So I, I get right up by the jump. Lincoln, my six-year-old, he's like, I'm, I'm going to go crush this thing. So he does it. He has his arms up. He gets a little bit of air. He lands it. He sticks it. I'm like, Nice. That was awesome. So we did it again. <laughs> I went to the top of the hill to get a second angle because I don't know why I feel like I need to videotape all these things. But 
except this time um, he went over the jump on a little bit of an angle, uh, lost his handles, and bumped his head on the sled. I have a video to prove it. It didn't look, it didn't look bad, but he stood up instantly and blood came pouring, this is yesterday, pouring out from between his eyes. He starts, he cried right away. You know how you do that? Like if you have kids or if you have nephews or whatever, you're like, did they cry right away? Like that's test number one, because if they don't, it could be a concussion. So yes, he did. He stood up. He didn't look like anything else was hurt, but I'm like, that's a lot of blood. So I run down. <laughs> It'd be enough if he was crying, but you know, I run down there and it is like he's, he's bleeding a lot and it doesn't, it's, um, where am I? <laughs> okay, second time. So I can run down as fast as I can. Okay, I carry him to the, t- <laughs> I carry him to the top of the hill, and I'm usually good under these circumstances, except not really this time. Um, I'm not sure what to do because I'm a couple hundred yards from my house. My daughter's at the bottom of the hill. So is the stupid red sled. Can we get rid of that? <laughs> um, and I carry him up to the top. And I'm like, do I lay him in this sled and pull him back home? But literally, if he's laying on his back, his like eyes are going to fill with blood. It's just a lot of blood. I'm sorry to tell you all this. There is a point. Um, I'm usually good under these circumstances, but I just didn't have a clear answer of what to do. And that is when a mom lady that I had passed earlier walked up with such calmness. Is he okay? Um... No, I think he needs to go in. Well, should I call 911 for you? No, we live right down the road, um, and I think we can get him there, and this is not our first time having to do something like this. Um, Then she's like, well, but you really need to stop that bleeding. Like, that's a good idea. (laughs) And this is all in like five seconds, but I'm like, I I don't, I have like these big snowboard gloves. I'm like, that's going to (laughs) hurt. And that's when she pulls out two little mittens out of her pocket. He's crying, but it's not like the next level crying. He's crying because he wants to keep sledding, but he doesn't really realize there's blood everywhere. Um, she reaches into her pocket and grabs out two white mittens, the ones that I saw her putting on her daughter earlier, and she used her kid's mittens to stop my son's bleeding. I didn't even notice it until like an hour after I got home. Like she used her daughter's mitten. I don't know if she had to take them back off of her daughter or if they were in her pocket. But she used her daughter's white mittens to stop my son's bleeding forehead. She held it on his forehead. I was there too, but she held it on his forehead um, while I called my wife, hey, come down and get him, and I'll go home and watch the other kids. And while I'm having that phone call, it's okay, buddy. They're going to take good care of you. Like, she's, she's mothering my son. By the time I hung up the phone, I, I see the dad running up, and he's much more prepared than I am. He has a med kit with him in his car. I will now be carrying a bulky med kit with me on the inside of my jacket every time I go to sled with my kids. But he's already got the gauze in his hand. He's already got the tape. I'm not losing my mind, but I'm not really like as like, 
here's what we do now. I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm worried about him, and I don't know what the answer is. And, and there she is using her daughter's mittens, and there he is with the gauze and the tape, and they give them to me, and I put them on his head, and he calms down a little bit, and Marsha gets to take him in. It always stinks to not be the person to take your kid in because you want to feel like you're the one, like, fixing them. So thanks a lot for that, Marsha. Um, I got to take him last time. And I get to take him next time. <laughs> but um, if that couple hadn't been there, sure, I would have figured something out. But I'm not really sure what it would have been. It would have been a lot less beautiful, I can tell you that. I don't know that couple's name, but it may as well have been Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe being a pastor to your neighbor's looks something like giving your kids mittens to stop the bleeding of somebody else's kid. Lincoln's okay, by the way. Thanks for not asking. How dare you? Um, four stitches, he'll be all right. He was running down the center aisle, and, and Leslie, I don't know if you felt me like, stop running, son, because I don't want to pay for more stitches. Um, but he, he was crying, because, not because he was hurt, but because he wanted to keep sledding. So he said that. Like, that's my boy. Um, that's what being a neighbor looks like. And I know you're the type of people that do that. Do that with compassion. Do that with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Live an undivided life. Carve out a little bit of extra space. And here's some questions for us that we can reflect on this week. What does my neighbor need from me in my house right now? Just ask the question. How can I be a neighbor that is compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient? There's many scenarios that I can think of where perhaps we're not being that to our neighbors, literal neighbors. And I know the neighbor in the broader sense, but I'm just talking like, I think we ignore our actual neighbors because we realize everybody's our neighbor, but can we actually care about our actual neighbors? Let's do that. In what ways, this is me yesterday, in what ways am I hesitant to allow people to be a good neighbor to me? No, don't give me your glove. I didn't even have time to think. But in what ways are we hesitant to actually let people neighbor us well? Let's pray. Jesus, um, you were the ultimate neighbor. Um, I love the way the message puts the description of you coming to earth as the word becoming flesh and moving into the neighborhood. Uh, May we seek to embody who you were when you walked on this planet so that we may be who you are as we walk on it, as people who are compassionate and gentle and kind and patient. I pray you bless those neighbors that helped me this week. And may we be people that are living undivided lives that carry those values with us as we seek to be good news to our neighbors. Amen.